Well, I want to thank Don and Brittany and Brittany for working with our young people. And what a blessing that was to have them sing. <clears throat> On May 8th, Boyd and Shirley Bumgarner celebrated 64 years of marriage. Praise God. God be the glory. Boyd, Boyd stood up at that moment and walked around. He needs a standing ovation, right? Praise the Lord. This morning, I want to talk to you about mentoring moms. There are some things that only a mom can teach. Uh, my mom taught me about anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home, <laughs> right? My mom taught me about medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes like that, they're going to get stuck that way. Have you ever heard that one? Yeah, my grandmother used to say that one as well. And she also taught me about genetics. You are just like your father, right? Now, she said that more about my brother. And then, of course, my mom taught me about justice. One day, you'll have kids. And I hope they turn out just like you, right? <laughs> Our daughter, Elena, had an episode in Walmart with little Logan. She's so sweet. She would never pitch a fit at 19 or 20 months old, right? Well, she did. She had her first royal meltdown in Walmart. And we are reminded, Elena, you deserve every bit of it. You deserve it all, right? In regard to my calling, uh, I read a statement that said, an ounce of a mother is worth a pound of clergy. That's so true. With that profound impact upon one's life. I'm glad my mom was uh, able to be here today. She weighed pastors out in Highlandville. And my mom uh, gave me precedent today, right? And came over here, and we're so glad that she's here. But it is impossible to exaggerate the influence of a mother <clears throat> upon her children. However, all over the world, the number of women who are fully committed and dedicated to the biblical precepts and duties of motherhood is dropping at an alarming rate. Now, we know this, don't we? While modernity has given us many technological advances, we know that as well, and career opportunities, it's also given us fewer and fewer mothers who are fully dedicated throughout the lifetime of a child for this particular task that God has given women. There's an author named J.R. Miller who actually lived and wrote in the late 1800s. And notice what he says. A true mother is one of the holiest secrets of home happiness. God sends many beautiful things to this world, many noble gifts, but no blessing is richer than that which He bestows in a mother who has learned love's lessons well and has realized something of the meaning of her sacred calling. The Bible makes it clear that a mother's sacred calling is dedicated to laying that particular foundation at infancy and building upon that foundation throughout a child's life, through every phase. This is why the hand that rocks the cradle, I'd rather say blesses the world. Would you not, after you read the Bible and figure out how a mother that rocks the cradle truly does bless the world? We could look at many of the biblical characters that we 
highly esteem and look behind them in the scriptures to see wonderful moms and grandmothers. Now, this is not how things have worked out in the world that we live in. The hand that rocks the cradle blesses the world. Cradle blesses the world. The hand that once rocked the cradle now taps the keys inside of a small cubicle. We know that's true. Uh, the issue is how are we going to adjust to it and how do we adjust when we know that we have a biblical mandate that far supersedes any amount of income that a family might duly get to themselves. How, how do we, uh, the point is not to blast women on Mother's Day for working outside of the home. That's never the goal. But how do we, how do we work in those realms when we do have dual family incomes and both parents are working? The fact is we can't jettison our responsibility, can we? You know, as moms, we, we know we cannot do this. God reserves the most fundamental role of the preservation of young lives to mothers. Number one, according to the Word. So without mothers, babies languish. Thus, it's mothers who stand in the gap to ensure the blessing of our children. And this ripple effect is going to go on. It's like throwing a stone into a lake. And where it hits is not the only place that's affected. There's ripple effects and concentric circles that move out. And so that mother's influence, positively or negatively, is going to influence not only the family, but church and the nation that we live in, that ripple effect. So I want to introduce you to a young woman, and her name is Eunice. Let me introduce you to her in the Bible, okay? Acts chapter 16. You knew I'd get to Acts some way, right? Now, we, we start Acts, uh, the, we, we finish up Acts 14 next Sunday, but look at Acts 16, verse 1. I want to introduce you to Eunice in the Bible. The Bible says, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was, Timothy that is, well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now flip over to 2 Timothy. We'll be in two references there as we introduce you to Eunice. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Now note this. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. And now 2 Timothy 3, if you'll flip over. Same, chapter, same book, 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 3. He's again speaking to Timothy, young protege in the faith. And listen to what he says. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from, say that word, childhood or infancy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for preaching and for reproof, for correct, correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good 
work. So here we're introduced to Eunice. We don't know for sure about Timothy's dad. We take the word Greek to mean that there's a good possibility that Timothy's father did not know the Lord. Perhaps the scenario is that Lois, the grandmother, was saved at Pentecost. Perhaps when uh, all dialects of Jewish people were converging upon Jerusalem and something happened different that day. The word of the Lord came forth and it was preached by by the, the disciples or the apostles, and they heard the gospel in their own tongue. And the Bible says that scores of people were saved, some 3,000. Let's say Grandma Lois was saved on the day of Pentecost. Let's say that Eunice perhaps had already married, and yet she was an unbeliever. And let's say her mom brings her to faith in Jesus Christ, or through the preaching of the word, Eunice becomes a Christian, but Eunice's husband is not. And they have young Timothy. And maybe that's the scenario that we have here, but Paul takes up this incredible interest in the life of one named Timothy. And he is going to join Paul's missionary band and in essence kind of take John Mark's place. And Timothy begins to travel uh, with the Apostle Paul in his missionary endeavors. And they're going to spread the gospel throughout all of Asia Minor. Paul is going to write a little rate later about the impact of Timothy's life. With, and with this in background, he writes... 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and he addresses the mother and the grandmother and the influence upon young Timothy's life. Uh, before I divide this up for you, I want to point out something obvious that's found in chapter 2, verse 1. I mean, chapter 2, verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Now, that's the first thing that jumps off the page when I read that. That Timothy has an unfeigned or sincere faith that is in him that first dwelled in Grandma Lois and was also present in Mother Eunice. There is this faith. You know, folks, that faith is learned. It's caught and taught. And there was this sincere faith, this unfaith, this unhypocritical faith that was in them. And it was passed on in sincerity. There's progression going on here. The faith was passed from grandmother to mother, and then to Timothy. C. Everett Koop, former Surgeon General, said this, Life affords no greater responsibility and no greater privilege than the raising of the next generation. Have you stopped to consider how important it is for us to pass the faith along to the next generation? Judges chapter 2 reminds us of what happens when we don't rehearse the awesome faithfulness of our, of our God. After Joshua died... We'll note in Judges chapter 2 that there arose a generation who did not know the Lord nor follow the Lord. Folks, we're just one generation each year apart away from that kind of situation. So we've got to pass the faith alone. If we're going to live it out, we've got to pass it on. And that's exactly what I want to talk to you about this morning in the time we have remaining. The first thing that we see in the lives of Lois and Eunice is that they pass alone an understanding of salvation. Do you notice in the 2 Timothy 3 passage that the scriptures made him wise unto salvation? And then we see this unfeigned or sincere faith that first dwelt in the mother and grandmother. So even though Lois and Eunice were believers and they had come to know Christ, Timothy needed to come to the point in his own life when he put his faith in Jesus Christ. You see, folks, you're not saved by acquaintance or inheritance, you're saved by grace. Through faith. Faith is not hereditary. Faith is seen in the lives of others. 
And faith is given as a gift from God in order to trust Jesus as Lord. So, at the same time, when mothers model that genuineness of faith, and they set the environment whereby children will have an opportunity to see the faith lived out in the home. In other words, you're establishing, you're establishing a faith-rich environment in your home where there's an understanding of salvation. Of who you are before the Lord. Luke Bryan has a song, and it, the, kind of the phrase goes, uh, I believe that all people are good. Wrong. Wrong. That's not true whatsoever. There's none righteous, no, not one. Now, I do like the statement that, uh, well, I don't really like that statement. He says something about motherhood, right? About all moms deserve sainthood. Can I remind you this morning that you're either a saint or you ain't? You don't evolve into sainthood. You're made a saint by trusting Jesus as Lord. So there's, you don't become a saint in the Catholic understanding by living a good moral life and you evolve into sainthood. That's garbage. That's not Bible. You're a saint if you know Jesus as your Lord. Even in 1 Corinthians, he calls them saints. Have you all read that? As a matter of fact, when I start thinking bad about you, I just read 1 Corinthians and I feel a lot better. Right? <laughs> you know that's not true. Here's the deal. But the passing on that salvation, we don't tell our children they're good enough to be saved. In Luke Bryan's song. We don't tell people that. You tell people there are none righteous, no, not one. You create this faith environment in the home that exudes the grace of God. And you teach your children that we're all, we're all sinners. We're all in need of a Savior. And you have to continually remind, uh, you know, it's just the way it is in, in home life. And, and it's even more difficult sometimes when you grow up in the church. And everything you hear has that Christian connotation. You know, sometimes it's difficult to help that kid see that they're sinners. And, and obviously only Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can convict a kid or a child at an early age that he or she is a sinner. And here's, here's what I know this morning. Some of you in this church have done the best that you know how possibly to create this faith environment, but your kid has gone prodigal. And boy, that hurts, doesn't it? And I sympathize with you. I, I understand that totally. But at the same time, establishing that faith environment where salvation is by grace through faith is the number one priority for a mom and a dad. The word sincere means their faith was not a phony. Isn't that good? I mean, if you're going to model what true salvation is, you ought to act like what you say you belong to. In other words, we ought to bear a, our Father's similarities. The nature of Jesus ought to be evident inside of us. And that's what this means. It wasn't just on the lips of Lois and Eunice. They didn't just say this to Timothy. They actually lived it out with what the KJV calls an unfeigned faith. That means it's not phony. Their faith to them was the real deal. It was, out, it was without pretense and without a false facade so, sincere faith. And then that word lived is interesting. It means it, it dwelt at home in Lois and Eunice. Before faith can ever be an aspect of the home, it's got to be at home in your heart. It's got to be real. It has to be a salvation that, that God has given to you as a gift. But when you accepted Jesus as Lord and you turned from sin and self and you trusted Jesus only for salvation, you understood the demands of discipleship. You understood that to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. You understood uh, in the, uh, at the onset 
that you have to deny self, take up your cross and follow Jesus. We understand that, yes, He's Savior, but He's also Lord. And there's that understanding of who He is. Well, that's what Timothy saw in Lois and Eunice. He saw a real uh, regenerated mom and, dad, uh, mom and grandmother who knew Jesus Christ and lived it out in front of him. John 14, 23 says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Do you see the connection with knowing and obeying? That's exactly what Timothy saw in them. Faith had come and taken up residence in the grandmother's heart, in the mother's heart, and now it was alive in Timothy. Note the NLT translation for smoothness of reading in 2 Timothy 1.5. I know that you sincerely trust the Lord, for you have the faith of your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. Isn't that awesome? The NLT takes the liberty to point the faith that's inside of Timothy. And, and they're saying, Tim, Paul is saying to Timothy, I know it's in you because it was in your mom and your grandma. I sincerely understand that. So passing on salvation. Here's a mom and a grandmother who were drop dead serious about their faith. No phoniness whatsoever about them. Totally devoted. Completely committed. Timothy knew this. No one knows better than a child whether a parent's faith is sincere. Hey, you can fool a lot of people, but you're not going to fool a kid. Not when it comes to sincerity. Do they see us as a guide to lead them with wisdom to salvation? You know, that's what that means. Timothy would have only had at his disposal and his mom and grandmom the Old Testament Scripture. And so it was the Old Testament Scripture that Lois and Eunice taught to Timothy. And it was through that that he began to understand that Christ is the fulfillment of all the Scriptures. So it made him wise unto salvation. So it was in Timothy's mind, in the hard drive of his mind, but once he come to understand who Jesus was, it dropped down into his heart. Right? It moved. It made him wise unto salvation. Salvation's in Jesus Christ only. And it was demonstrated before him. There was a family environment that Timothy lived in where it made his heart fertile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you folks that values we leave our children are a whole lot more important than the valuables you're going to leave them. And the most important valuable is the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation. So pass on salvation, moms. Number two, pass on the scripture. Grandma and mom passed on not only salvation, meaning they taught the scripture unto salvation, but they also gave Timothy the word. Did you note that in 2 Timothy without going back? That from childhood you have learned these things. Paul didn't stop there. He goes on to say all scripture is God breathed, God inspired, and is profitable. And it was profitable in Timothy's life. Why? Because his mom and his grandmom gave him the word. That word infant that some of you quoted in here as I read in the KJV is a really good translation. In other words, this was probably a toddler when he began to hear about Israel's God. He was a toddler when his mom and grandmom began reading him the stories in the Word of God of Abraham. Don't you, can't you imagine that Timothy probably had in his back of his, back of his mind that God was going to grant Abraham's seed uh, as, as wonderful and as expansive as the sand on the seashore? I'm going to give you these numbers. That promise is coming. He learned about Abraham. He learned about Moses and Elijah. 
He learned about Samson and Samuel and David and Ruth. They did everything they possibly could through the Scripture with every opportunity to permeate that home with the Word of God. So when you internalize the Word, you can impress that upon your children. In other words, again, he had it in the hard drive as a child. And as he became wise unto salvation, God took what was in the hard drive and dropped it into his spirit and into his heart where he could understand. Mothers, it's never too early to start teaching your kid the Word. I don't think there's anything wrong with all with, with propping that Bible up on your belly. When that baby's in that womb, go ahead and start reading the Word of God. Start reading it out loud so that they hear it. I think that's why some of your children love to hear your preacher preach, even though they say I preach long, is because I think they've heard me when you bring them in here and they're in your womb. Right? They're already accustomed to hearing the Word. Don't take that lightly. That's a, that's a living soul inside of you with a developing mind and ears, and they can hear, and, and you know, we, we know these things. So the Scripture is passed on. It's never too early to start, but it's never too late either. You say, well, my boy's 40. Well, okay, that's fine. Get the Scripture into him as, w- as well. Thankfully, we're not calling you as, our, as a church to do it only by yourself in your home. you got a church here to help you. Aren't you thankful that we have someone like Don Currents, and others in our church, there's a multiplicity of them. Jennifer, and Pam, and others who pour the word into them in Sunday school class. You know, that's not just a game. Just think about how awesome it is for your kid to walk into a Sunday school class and he or she is going to be exposed to the words of life. That's wonderful, isn't it? And we have Lid and we have VBS and we, we now have Bible drill. You're talking about thrilling your heart when you see about eight or ten of our kids up on the stage and they're over at Ridgecrest or here at our church and they're quoting, Thus saith the Lord. They're actually looking at, from memory, they know where the story of the baptism of John, they know where the story of the comfort chapter is and they can find these things. We can never underestimate the power of the Word to change a life. Never underestimate that. So pass on salvation and the Scriptures. Here's a third one. Pass on serving. Pass on to them not only an understanding of true salvation, but of the Scripture and how precious it is. It's a lamp unto your feet. It's a light unto your path. You hide its word in your heart that you won't sin against the Lord. But how about passing on serving and service to the kingdom? What do you notice in Acts 16? I mean, here's a guy that has a mom and a grandmother, and there's something about this guy that Paul notices. I mean, he's in his missionary journeys, and, and one thing we think is, Whatever happened that was any good in Derby and Lystra, right? Paul ends up getting stoned there. You don't know a whole lot about what takes place, but, but here's something that does take place. God saves Timothy there. And so here's this young Timothy. And there's some qualities about him that we need to pass on to our children. Let me give you one, uh, a couple of them. Teach them to become strong believers. I mean, right off the bat, what does Paul call Timothy? He calls him a disciple. In other words, here's a guy who it's obvious that he's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's a learner. He's connected himself to Christ. And we need to encourage our kids to take Jesus seriously. To take their calling seriously. To remind them who they are in Jesus Christ. So we teach them to become strong believers. Second, we encourage them to maintain a good reputation. Notice what it says in Acts 16. Of all the believers in the area, Timothy was spoken well of. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? To be spoken well of. You, know, you do know, kids, that the number one thing 
at this point that you can do in life is honor your mom and dad. That is the number one thing that you are called by God to do as a young kid. Uh, that skit up here uh, hit the nail on the head, right? With obedience and what that means. And some of you may say, well, I don't even know the Lord yet. doesn't matter. Still the number one thing God calls you to do. When you honor your mom and dad, you are honoring the Lord. The Bible makes no separation from that. Now, obviously, we know that moms and dads at times lead people the wrong way. They lead their children the wrong way. And it's in the Lord that you obey them. I understand that. But in most cases, if in the Christian circle, in our environment here at this church, you don't, have to, you don't have to stop kids and think, well, should I obey my mom and dad or not? That's a foregone conclusion. You are obeying the Lord when you obey your parents. So we're called by God to do that. And that, that reward that we see in our children of obedience, to me, is the most important thing in my life. In regard to my children. It's not the accolades they get one day. It's not the success they have. It's not the PhD. It's, those things are, are, are that, that doesn't mean anything to me. That's great and all. But what's going to mean something in, in eternity is not only did they obey their mom and dads, but did they obey Jesus? In eternity, folks, that's all that's going to matter. Only what's done for Christ is going to last. Period. So, it's kind of like raising a garden, and you, you pull off that first big juicy tomato. Well, that thing is a reward to the gardener, right? That, I mean, you pull, that's what children are to us when they obey. When they become all that God would have them to become, that is the quintessential calling upon a kid's life, to do and to obey mom and dad. And, of course, we have these standards here for us as parents, right? Not just moms, but we are teaching our kids what true salvation is. We're, not, we're teaching them uh, what it means to be regenerate and to know Jesus Christ as Lord and to surrender your life to the gospel. We are pouring into them, thus saith the Lord, the scriptures. We're all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And we're passing on this service. We want to be a strong believer. And we want them to have a good reputation. We want them to maintain integrity before this world as an emblem of what Christ has accomplished. And then we need to challenge them to be available. Strong believers, reputation, and availability. Who was it that day that joined the missionary band? It was Timothy, right? He was perhaps a teenager at this point. Good chance that he was a teenager at this point. And Paul wanted, him to take, wanted to take him along on the journey. And Timothy was eager to minister. Uh, he knew that he would have to leave his home to go on this journey. He knew that it meant some hardship. Uh, may come. You think Paul told him the story of the fact that, you know what? In your town, I got stoned. And they left me for dead. You think Timothy knew that before he joined in? You think that's what Jesus meant when he says, before you make a decision to follow me, you need to count the cost? That it might cost you your life? Do you think Timothy knew that when he joined in to minister? The long and short is he knew how to, how to minister. Paul enlisted Timothy as a special assistant to replace John Mark. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, he calls Timothy his beloved son. He calls him, in 1 Timothy, his son in the faith. In Philippians 2.20, Paul can't think of anyone like Timothy. And here's what he writes. 
I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. He thought highly of Timothy. He couldn't wait to unleash him into ministry to fulfill his calling. We all need to do a better job of teaching our kids how to serve, how to minister. Correct? We all need to do that. I said that a couple of weeks ago. If I had it to go back over again, I would have spent more time teaching my kids how to serve. Not to say that they don't, and your kids don't, but to teach them what it means to have servanthood before the Lord. If you, want to make, if you want to make a difference in the schools, young people, in this church and in the world, then there has to be a difference. If you're going to make a difference, there has to be a difference. And the difference in a child of God is that he or she is called to serve. To connect with the Lord. To minister to those who are hurting. To serve as missionaries. To use the gift that God has given you at salvation to use for the glory of the Lord. Now, in conclusion, I want to emphasize something else. I'm not leaving grandmas and grandpas off the hook, right? You had Grandma Lois, who the, first, the faith first lived in the grandma, right? The grandmother first had the faith, and if you're a grandparent, you've got, a, an, you've got an opportunity to make a grand impact on your children, on your children's children. A recent study actually shows that the bond between grandparents and grandchildren is second in emotional power and influence only to the relationship of a parent-child. That's why we jokingly say sometimes that, do you know why grandparents and grandchildren get along so well? Y'all know? Because they have a common enemy. (laughs) Right? We jokingly say that, but I hope that's not your attitude when it comes to your grandchildren. I'm going to do everything I can to move them away from the influence of their parents. Shame on you if you have that. But the fact is, that power and influence. Psalm 128, verse 6, the Bible tells us that grandchildren help us rejoice. Isn't that a great text? The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 6, that children's children are a crown to the aged. So that means a grandparent's grandparent's children, that those grandchildren are a crown to the aged. I want to applaud mothers and grandmothers who model their faith and mentor their children. To God be the glory for you. Proverbs 31, 28 says, Her children will rise and bless her. And the Bible says that her husband also praises her. Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 30. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Here's what I want to do. If you're not a mother, if you're a mother, you stay seated. Uh, That means all the men, and if you're not a mom, and, and look, trust me when I say this, I understand as you start a sermon on motherhood that some of you, oh, you may have lost a child in the last couple of years. I know that. I realize that. Some of you, you want to be a mom, but, you, you're not, but you're biologically you're not a mom. I understand all those parameters, but I also understand what the Bible says about motherhood. How that moms ought to be praised. And here's what I want to do. Moms, you stay in your seat. Everybody else, get up. All right, listen. The Bible says we ought to bless them. Let's do it right now. Let's say it this way. Lord, bless 
our mothers. Let's say it out loud. Lord, bless our mothers. To God be the glory. Amen. I'll invite everybody to stand. And for our invitational time, it's pretty simple. It's not just for moms. It's for dads as well. But are we passing on an understanding of true salvation? Of what it means to know Jesus biblically? Are we passing on the scriptures? Again, the most valuable thing you pass on is not the valuables, but the values and who Jesus Christ is. And then finally, are we teaching them to serve? Serve the Lord with gladness. Serving the Lord. All right, let's sing together.